At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. All right, Danny, all but one series now has four games in the books, and that one doesn't even really need a fourth game. But I wanted to ask you, we haven't talked at all since Friday, what are you most excited to talk about here? The game that most recently concluded, Pelican Sons, I think is a, a really fascinating, fun place to start. We deservingly, justifiably praised Chris Paul and the Suns for the way that they responded in game three. They, you know, they that amazing fourth quarter that CP had. And I think that game four on Sunday provided the template or at least a basic understanding for how the Pelicans can continue to win games in the series and and really threaten Phoenix to actually take it. Well, elaborate on that. Brandon Ingram, I thought, was really impressive overall, you know, getting to his spots. This wasn't just a mid-range fest. He got got a few around the basket. But the the defense from Alvarado and Jones, Herb Jones blocked three three-pointers in this game, which was completely ridiculous. Yeah, in like a 10-minute span. And all of them were insane. I have no idea how he got to any of them. Like, he just gets off the ground. Like, he doesn't even need to bend his knees. He just, like, springs into the air, and he's got this ridiculous extension and standing reach i mean he, I, I can't even decide which is the most ridiculous one. i think it was the one actually that he got on Shamit that they didn't show the replay of was the most ridiculous one but these dudes are thinking they're wide open and he's just rolling out there and blocking their threes it's unbelievable so that defensive foundation you know forcing forcing more turnovers 12 for the suns in this game eight of them live ball so the possession game seriously favored the new orleans pelicans because they also had control on the offense of glass to the tune yeah. of it and, and sorry sorry you, you mentioned the the turnovers i thought it was really interesting that phoenix in the first half they controlled the pace only 42 possessions and then the second half and again this wasn't like everyone was fouling at the end generally the second half will have more possessions just because you're fouling a bunch at the end of the game it's close but it didn't get to that point ended up being a 15 point game so there are 50 possessions in the second half and so that was really i thought getting the pelicans at the pace they wanted to play and not CP's place pace including you know forcing some eight second violations and turnovers in the backcourts and pressing that was really a, a key to victory for them but you're going to talk about the offensive rebounding as well well offensive rebounding for per cleaning the glass 43 percent of new orleans own misses on their way to a 130 offensive rating and that's a 130 offensive rating when they shot six of 24 from three and a lot some of that was you know making making a reasonable amount of their twos overall for as a team 17 to 24 in the restricted area 10 to 
21 from floater range, but also getting to the free throw line a metric ton. 42 free throw attempts for the Pels. And yeah, there were some technicals and a few other things there, but Ingram was aggressive. Valanchunas got to the line a fair amount. Herb Jones with eight as well. And this Phoenix team, without without Booker and with some of the players that have had to replace him, they have to go with some more flawed players. They have to go with, you know, a challenging base. And it's not necessarily the starting five. It's the overall rotations have to shift around. And I think Monty Williams has done a totally credible job. It's nothing like he, he does that. But it's just, you know, when you're missing a star, all of this gets more difficult. And I don't think the Pelicans are going to win every game in this series by 15. The home crowd was absolutely awesome, though. I will mention that. But playing hard defense, getting to the free throw line, getting offensive rebounds, working to twos, all of that stuff they can continue doing. And if they do it roughly half the time, this is this is really a series. Yeah, I thought the offensive rebounding was absolutely massive. I mean, that's just a huge number. The Pels actually, one of the big adjustments they made was to play big more, to play Nance and Valanchunas together some. Obviously, they stuck with the Hayes, Valanchunas. Uh, to start with, they didn't go small as much. And I think that that really paid off, particularly because you've also got so much athleticism with Jones on the wing uh, as well. The they start Brandon Ingram at the two and it's a massive massive group and this really though to me was a defensive loss for the Suns and I felt I when Booker went down that that's how they're going to need to win games in this series and the Pels as you mentioned they are not a good shooting team at all like outside of Devontae Graham and CJ McCollum basically nobody takes threes on this team unless they're like really wide open like Alvarado will take a few Ingram will take a few but he's usually initiating rather than spotting up so he's not out by the three-point line very much Herb you know if he's open but there's nobody that you're running a play for who's going to take a three as the primary action you know Valanchunas hit one which was huge but so they beat him up in other ways and the mid-range was awesome they were posting up Valanchunas Valanchunas this is the best post-up game I can ever remember him having uh, and I think there's an adjustment that they can make on that which would be double teaming him because he does deal with double teams very poorly I think of him as kind of an opportunity double where it's an opportunity when he gets the ball to force a turnover uh and you mentioned the points off turnovers as well but in the end i mean this phoenix team is supposed to be an elite defense losing booker shouldn't hurt you there and their offense despite going seven out of 27 from three and they had two garbage time ones so they really were uh five out of 24 at one point still had a 114 offensive rating so the offense was fine even though cp didn't do that much they missed a ton of wide open threes like i think the offense is okay it's just that they couldn't stop new orleans and this is a solid offensive team but their defense just overall needs to be better like you can't have Jonas Valanciunas just like bulldozing you in the post for like six or seven post-up buckets maybe something like that and just they, and got they, they just got to be better on that as well end. oh sure yeah I mean and and the rebounding being better you know, that's something that they got to do as well particularly because it's not like the Pels just like drive in and get on top of the rim and totally compromise your defense you know they're taking a lot of mid-rangers so it's uh they're taking some post-ups etc so yeah i mean i think basically just that phoenix needs to be better defensively is the number one thing for them it was also it was also interesting and in a certain way gratifying to see chris paul and jay crowder at different points in their career have been they're kind of a weird form of tough you know where it's like they'll get into guys faces but they don't really do the other kind of things and so Crowder was getting at at times was vocal and he also got fouled twice on three point on three pointers and then the Jones 
Alvarado Pelicans just stood up. They they the crowd loved it. They played hard. You know that play where Alvarado got kind of half screened by Crowder and got bumped by Chris Paul, and they called a foul on Alvarado. Didn't didn't rattle him. Just kept on doing what he was doing. Eventually did get one of those trademark backcourt steals on Chris Paul. And it isn't. This series is not going to be decided by swagger. The series is not going to be decided by being tough. But it it was gratifying to see a pretty young team, a team that doesn't collect have that much playoff experience live up to the moment entirely yeah cp and herb jones are guarding each other a lot on both ends and herb the the altercation initiated when herb tried to run in from the baseline cp went to box him out and then flopped when he got hit from behind we've seen that play with a, a lot of people i th- didn't think this one we didn't get a great replay of it so i i may be speaking out of turn here but cp will uh allow himself to get knocked down and i think he was pissed off that he didn't get the call. And then he kind of took that out on Herb. And he was really just like following him around at like the next two or three balls, dead balls, telling him how little he appreciated that. And then there was an incident later where Herb got knocked down and CP went to help him up. And Herb was like, nah, I'm not going to accept that. And then, well, and it then culminated. that was after the flagrant. Oh, that was after the flagrant. Yeah, thank yeah, you. So the, fl- the, flagrant was, the flagrant was before that where Herb Jones got a steal off an inbound and then went in. And I thought flagrant one was the reasonable call because, yes, there was a windup. But Chris Paul, like the windup went kind of through both Herb Jones' head and where the ball would have been. So he was making a play on it. It wasn't one of those grab the guy yeah. and he's in the air. I mean, I'm glad it was a flagrant one. I thought it was kind of borderline. That's what Monty McCutcheon was yeah. saying on the broadcast. It, it, like, if it, if they had ruled it a flagrant two, I would not have been aggrieved in the slightest. But if I were the one adjudicating it, it would have been a flagrant one. No, I, I think that's fair. And I mean, if he had just hit him harder also, or he were if he were a bigger guy and Herb were a smaller guy, then it probably would have been two because he just, like, Herb just went right through him and finished the layup anyway. So I think that was part. Like if he had knocked him down with that kind of a blow, it would surely have been. A, or if it had two. led to an altercation yeah no i think it, that's a good point maybe herb should have uh should have created one that's but it, as you alluded to in the, at the start of this little discussion it's always all right the intense young guy tries to get a little chippy and win it with effort and then cp or jay crowder like get a bunch of fouls on him and the veteran team ends up winning in these first round playoffs against the chippy underdog and at least tonight it was it was fun to see that turn around and see paul and crowder losing their composure a little bit and those guys getting their just revenge and tying it up at 2-2 what else do we have to talk about from this one I brought up Crowder getting fouled twice on three-pointers. He jumps really far forward. Hollinger invoked Gareth and Matthews, another guy who does that. And I think that... Uh, Although I will say this. Jay comes by it honestly because... He's always leaning forward because he's probably the league leader in twos with his toenail on the line. So right. so I, he definitely think, is leaning forward naturally. Like he costs his own team points that way too. I think that it's also, it gets challenging in terms of giving flagrants on those. I think that, you know, if you're, if you're in the guy's landing path and he's not doing an unusual motion, then it is a three yeah. shot foul, but... If they're jumping, you know, two and a half, three feet forward, maybe you maybe you don't go in that range. And that's what they did on what they reviewed the Brandon Ingram one. And I thought that was was a correct call. I'm still keeping a close eye on where the secondary playmaking is going to come from for the Suns. They kept the ball moving. And as you said, the offense was was successful overall. But, you know, is are they going to lean a little bit more on bridges or Crowder or or you know, in those minutes, it, it is going to be a challenge. And like Shamit had a couple of drives, but there isn't anybody who's just like a screaming great fit for it. Yeah, a few other smaller notes here as well. I mentioned the Pels changing up their rotation. They wanted to bring 
Valanchunas back in against JaVale and JaVale had his usual great offensive game 14 points 7 of 7 in 13 minutes and also had four personal fouls and was negative seven somehow in those and that's not all his fault because he's playing a lot of his minutes with at the end of the first and the third with no CP on the floor and Payne is the main creator but I'm he uh and i still think they should try to get Aiton some more minutes like he would have played 35 i think had they not taken him out late and he also had another great game as well and the centers are just killing the pelts it's basically the only rim pressure that the suns are able to get is with those centers but Aiton, i thought had a really nice game with continuing to actually go into the post with him hit a few turnarounds like now he's still not going to draw fouls we haven't seen what happens on potentially double teaming him on those plays he's shooting mostly turnarounds which they're probably all right with but i mean his touch in that you know 15 feet and in range is just incredible it's for his size or really any size so he had 23 points on 11 of 14 but yeah i mean basically other than the centers nobody else had a good game at all i mean and this was a concern when booker went down with was chris paul how many minutes can he play and can he bring it to get 25 and 15 every night and as i said i don't think their offense was that bad like they just hit a few more threes they got a 120 offensive rating in this game but it is also a little hard to win when cp has four points one other element of the chris paul experience when now that he's the lead guy is a reason why the pelicans going more aggressively for the offensive glass is less challenging in this iteration of the suns yes. that phoenix was they they had the ninth fewest possessions in the half court this year and some of that was you know they 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 turned around well they have a very good defense and they did it but they've lost devin booker's transition play in game four new orleans was all in the half court less than 75 percent of the time which is phenomenal and they got they got steals they were they ran off of defensive rebounds pretty well like they did a really good job and phoenix less than 20 percent of their possessions were in transition 80.8 in the half court and so you're not going to get burned nearly as often when it's a chris paula team you could go back a lot of different eras and you generally see that story and so the the risk calculus for Willie Green is very different. And Willie Green also knows Chris Paul incredibly well. And it wouldn't surprise me if he nudged his team to say, you know, you can go harder after this. And, you know, CJ had four. Trey Murphy had a couple. And you can do that and you're not going to get annihilated for it. Yeah. And it seemed like that was really a thing. They talked about on the broadcast. Herb Jones said after game three that they were too comfortable out there. And CP was able to kind of control the game and then get, get into exactly what he wanted to do without that much pressure and they did change up they did a little bit more trapping of cp that's part of why he wasn't as effective the other reason was just that when they'd run the spain pick and roll the Suns would just get the guy wide open and, and either shaman or johnson would just miss or, or crowder would just miss the three and pain was was also over five from downtown also didn't help the suns that they got three three-pointers blocked as you mentioned earlier in terms of those stats and yeah so forcing at least a few turnovers which they didn't what did they have a five turnovers i think in game three i, I want to say off the top of my head and cp had zero and so he had three in this game and more turnovers than field goals in this game in fact and then it also just get it the ability to get to the foul line as well those 42 free throw attempts i mean that was just so massive for the pals and some of that was the offensive board some of it was ingram who we probably haven't talked about enough who had now has three straight 30 point games he was got to the foul line for 10 attempts and, and also, also took, had five also took nine yeah. attempts in the paint yeah including that nasty dunk on tory craig oh yeah yeah and 
I mean, I, I thought that the Suns were going to be in decent position at the pretty close to the end of the third when the Tory Craig campaign, JaVale, Ike Shamit was out there too. That unit was holding its own, but then they gave up a few points right at the end and were down 10. And then the, the Suns never really got back into it. I think the closest they got was five right at the start of the quarter. Might, might have been six. Let's see what else we have to talk about here from this one, uh, other than adjustments going forward. I think that's about it. Uh, I'm for in terms of like use. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house. Get that 100-night trial. They're 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easier to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since 
spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout please remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us player usage do you think that there's something that money williams is missing i mean they've been shamit's been getting open looks and hasn't quite been converting him but I, I don't think there's really anything that he's doing poorly yeah i mean would you think about trying aaron holiday instead of pain i mean holiday did come in and score seven points in two minutes of garbage time including making a three i mean pain just has not been the same guy as last year now holiday i think just doesn't know their system as well like i just don't think they trust him as much he's played off the ball a lot of screen. maybe you could try a little more holiday and a little less shamit just to get some more ball handling on the floor and you know jay crowder was in foul trouble a little bit but you know 29 minutes for him 32 minutes for cam johnson how about just not play tory craig at all if you can i I don't really see what he's giving them at this point in time he did have an offensive rebound put back but that was about it and his lack of shooting is pretty rough i don't he hasn't really had any success guarding ingram interestingly as a and then for the pels i i I won't say anything about their starting lineup it's not changing uh but it it did help them line up the bench units the Devonte graham thing is just really interesting because he's coming in i think you can get away with him in the non-cp minutes at the end of the first and the third and it's good to get him out there and just give him a little bit different of a look and Graham at eight points plus seven and, and somebody who minutes. can hit a three is useful to have on yeah. the, on the on yeah the- having just that bomber who can come in now i'm and i like the way that Graham pairs with ingram keeping him in the game then when cj comes back in at the second and fourth i don't know about that particularly because cp comes back in at that point uh i would reduce javel's minutes down and play DeAndre Ayton the absolute maximum that he could possibly handle because it feels like oh man McGee like he's scoring out there but then he also like his pick and roll defense is bad he I thought defensive rebounded poorly in this game and Valanciunas was smoking him in the post I think Valanciunas had three or four buckets on him just in the 13 minutes that they were matched up so that was a nice move by Willie Green to get Valanciunas in to match up with him you know for the Pels Najee Marshall 10 minutes like why you know give me uh just give me as much herb as you can can get here I mean it's very interesting that Ingram only played 36 now I think the reason for that was the Pels were kind of going good during the times that he was out of the game so that's why he didn't play as much same thing with CJ actually only played 36 but it's uh, surprisingly low minutes for some of these we'll see I mean game five is going to be a war and and I think we're we're going to see some of these minute totals get upped and Willie Green hasn't been afraid to go higher minutes with his guy before that's also a consequence of this series for phoenix at this juncture is that now you have to not only is it going to be a longer series but you're going to need to push your best players even harder than they probably hoped and expected to a little more on ingram i thought he worked off the ball extremely well at times and valanchunas did well to set him up there was one time he's fronted in the post valanchunas got to the high post lobbed it into him 
for a dunk. Another time he was being topsided. So Valanchunas got him on a beautiful back door in the second half. That was really nice to see Ingram to just add enough of those little plays here and there throughout the game where you're not dependent on coming off a pick and roll and hitting a three or isoing every single time. Ingram continues to look pretty good against Mikel Bridges. In fact, they are even setting screens to get his initial man, which is usually Crowder, off of him and get Mikhail Bridges onto him. And then he's just comfortable shooting over Mikhail Bridges. And it's looked pretty good, honestly. Uh, Herb Jones got Chris Paul with the, the Devin Booker cut out of the corner, just like face cutting him right out of the corner at one point. And they're just, I think they're going to continue just once or twice a game, try and get him with those because CP just wants to rest and like not guard people and be more of a help guy. And so you, he'll lose track of his man on occasion. If you can cut there, particularly if you're more athletic than him, you can get something out of it. Yeah, this is, uh, this is going to be fascinating. I predict that the Suns will have a nice comeback in game five but it, it's going to be interesting like, they're going to have to play well and pr- play really well on the defensive end that's where they they lost this one okay what's uh number two in your interest power rankings here the lunch bunch lives to survive another day another two games actually because utah wins game four of the series and we're going back <laughs> the the incredibly memorable ending of this game and i i actually think with this one i don't think any of these games were going to go possession by possession through it so well i, I mean i think the end of this one I no the to. very just, end just for, like, yeah yeah the last for that minute. and then go back yeah. to the rest of the game okay yeah let, let's do that uh, so let me scroll up through the 24 pages of notes that i have from the weekend Got to get this game back in my head. It seems like it was a it was a lifetime ago. Actually, where I wanted to start, and again, we have to do possession by possession here, was one point game with two ten remaining. Luca versus Rudy Gobert for the jump ball after Rudy got his ninety seventh offensive rebound of the game. How many did he actually have? I think it was ten, right? Yes, ten offensive ten. rebounds. But he basically was averaging like less than a point per possession on his offensive rebounds because he would either just get stripped or like miss an easy tip or come down and get fouled and then make one out of two free throws where he was nine out of 18 from the stripe but so Luca ties him up off an offensive rebound he wins the tip but of course Reggie Bullock just comes right across it and steals it and I've always felt that particularly when you're really favored on a tip you should almost just stand and like box out rather than like standing facing the tip because you know who where it's going to go so just make sure that the guy behind you can't cut in front of you and get it and it just will go in between you and and the other guy and you're fine rather than just standing sideways and then the guy could just cut right in front of you which is what block did to steal the tip so that that's just something that occurred to me at the time uh royce o'neill who was still in the game for some unknown reason i guess it's just because of quinn snyder loyalty blah blah but jalen brunson blew by him for the thousandth time in this series and the jazz were exceedingly lucky that he just missed a layup uh and dwight powell though got the offensive rebound got fouled by donovan mitchell puts the mavs up by one and then the next time down mitchell oh it was a, if memory serves it was kind of a late drive to the basket and yeah that what they did was i mean this was a huge theme throughout the game where the mavs were really struggling to deal with actions run at Doncic 
and they tried a bunch of stuff they didn't switch at all throughout basically the entire first half the jazz were just getting straight downhill and the mavs didn't have the rim protection to deal with it some of these drives and then then they tried switching and luca got eight up there this time they went for the switch double but mitchell actually got out of it uh driving past luca to the opposite side of where the double was coming from got in for a nice euro step to put the jazz up one and and that ties in with something i thought was the story of the whole game is that donovan mitchell three for five in the restricted area two for five in the paint and then if you want to add in the free throws he took nine of them over the course of the game and then mitchell two of 11 on jump shots in this one yeah there are definitely some very weird aspects of this game which we'll get into in the meat of it luca came back one-on-one against boyan who had a wonderful defensive game but just hit an impossible shot i mean for luca Doncic to do what he did coming back from this calf injury in this game now i, I it was very impressive from a team stand from a individual standpoint from a team standpoint maybe it was a little bit different which we'll talk about but he hits an impossible floater along the left baseline after driving from the top against Boyan puts him up one again Mitchell tried basically the exact same shot on his right side of the floor missed it and the Mavs took a timeout with 57 seconds left Luca then hits the step back on Rudy oh Gobert we should with no that's where that's left. where uh Quinn Snyder subbed house in for Royce O'Neal finally well was it for Royce O'Neal or was it for it was for Royce yeah well he did yeah as a defensive replacement you're right that was surprising because I guess they knew there or or at least thought they might go back the other way if they got a miss but you felt like and Luca and Rudy I think they only matched up I want to say three times on a switch and I thought it was weird throughout a lot of the game that they were still going at Rudy instead of say Donovan Mitchell say anyone else yeah Conley when he's in the game O'Neal although O'Neal is maybe a little bit better against Luca well, than quicker guys because he's the Mavs slow, were but. doing something that drove me crazy the entire game I actually talked about this with Seth Partnow on Real GM Radio is that in the first three games of the series Dallas was either kind of attacking base matchups if they thought they had an advantage or doing a kind of a, a basic thing to get an advantage and what they were trying that a couple of times on Corkson but what Luca wasn't doing and this might have been cap related is they were basically just having Bogdanovich fade back and trade and, and get back there and do kind of like you could call it like a a version of a hedge and recover sort of but at the half court line and but what Luca can do what you can counter that is you can push harder and just cultivate an advantage because there's so much time there but maybe Luca wasn't comfortable with that he likes to play at his own rhythm and I believe that happened on one of these late plays again so this one though he gets Gobert on him and hits the step back and I think those guys matched up three times once Luca I think he missed a step back and then he drove on Gobert one time and Gobert fouled him said to review it but no actually he just hit him right in the head with his armpit and it, it was a foul the challenge so it got denied but this time he hits the step back and I thought that Gobert particularly given the nature of Luca's injury should have pressed up a little bit more and been more concerned about just making him drive and then forcing him to make a tough finish at the basket over him so at that point 39 seconds left you felt that this is it this is it for this version of the Jazz basically and it still could be of course but down four 39 seconds left call timeout to advance the ball and get the two for one they set up a really they put in Conley for offense really nice hammer set 
and I thought it was interesting it seemed like they were going for a three and it was open in the corner but Mitchell decided to just cut in from the baseline and said he missed the layup though and that was actually crucial because that enabled as he got his own offensive rebound Luca to come over and follow him and get the and one and that extra point ended up being the, the difference in the game in the end it was and I believe the last two minute report said that Mitchell fouled Powell on the on the initial action but anyway you know it is refs are going to miss calls I didn't think of it as super duper egregious and yeah so that made it instead of being going from a four-point deficit to a two-point deficit it went from four to one and put a lot more onus on Dallas to get something and odds odds are that you're not going to keep it you're not going to be able to make it a two possession game you can go for a three but you I mean you're just trying to trying to get something there and 31 seconds left that also means that the Jazz who remember at this point only had had one timeout left because they used one after the Lucas step back. We're going to get a chance to advance the ball, presumably in a circumstance that was a one possession game. And then Luca, to his credit, you know, the find here was was absolutely was the this wasn't the best one. There was one that was earlier in the game, like about three, four minutes before that was an even better pass. But Luca makes exactly the right decision to get it to Powell and Powell gets fouled. It works out incredibly poorly for Dallas. Well, the biggest thing that I thought again I liked from a coaching perspective was that they put two on the ball on Luca, and then Luca did get off the ball with a great pass to Powell underneath and a good foul by the Mavs uh, with Donovan Mitchell coming over and hacking Powell although Powell is you know he's a plus 75 percent free throw shooter and he had just made two and he wasn't like way off on his two free throws either they were both very close but by forcing them to go a little bit early especially up one you can kind of or, or down one i should say by forcing him to go early you get the ball out of lucas hands maybe which you probably wanted to do anyway and then even if they score even if he makes one or two you've still got a chance a chance to come down with 20 seconds left in the game rather than seven which is where it would have been if they let the all the time run down so maybe you could say that powell should have backed it out again but he was right under the basket and just missed both free throws. And then, of course, great play to not call the timeout. They, and Mitchell also pushes to have up. lined up yeah. your subs so that you were to do that. So they brought Connolly back onto yeah. the floor so that in case Dwight Powell missed the second shot, you wouldn't need to call a timeout to get your guys out there. And Dallas, I don't I don't know that they particularly had their defensive. I don't know what subs they would. I mean, I don't think they had the willingness to sub Luca out in that circumstance, even though he was a defensive negative in this contest. Yeah, well, and they were limited in terms of, of personnel as well. So they bring it up quickly, left to right, quick drag screen, set close inside the arc. Really, the play was for Rudy to slip beyond the defense. And that had been there all day for both he and Whiteside slipping beyond the defense. And they just hadn't gotten as much out of it because a lot of times Rudy just would get fouled or something like that. But this was close enough and Mitchell led him perfectly. Much, of course, has been made about how Mitchell doesn't pass to Gobert. This time he did. And they had shooters on either side of the floor who probably should... The guys defending those probably should have jumped in because it doesn't matter as much at this point whether you give up a three or a two. And, and but the it odds was all of the three quick. going in are much yeah. lower than the odds of the two when Gobert's get it has that kind of an advantage. Yeah. And the other thing, though, is Dwight Powell was on the floor. And we've mentioned his name a lot in this. They didn't feel comfortable with him switching necessarily. Although even again, when the Mavs were switching, Utah was finally getting back to some of the habits they developed a few years ago of like guys quickly slipping out of picks and either forcing help behind the play or 
getting right to the rim so i don't know if the switch would have worked necessarily but moxie kleba had fouled out and that was just so massive in this one that moxie only played 18 minutes got six fouls the announcers didn't even mention that he had fouled out by they the way they didn't even mention had that he had he picked up his fifth on a on a play i think it was donovan mitchell got fouled and they didn't even mention it then either yeah he lost discipline on a, a mitchell pump fake so that was a killer that Kleba fouled out, particularly because then they couldn't go five out either. I thought that hurt their offense a little bit towards the end. And what then, did you, what did you yeah. think of Jason Kidd's decision series of decisions here to not advance the ball? Yes, he called they a had timeout. Eleven, yeah, hundred percent on board with the timeout. Yeah, they had eleven seconds to work with, and only a one point deficit. Yeah, now they probably could have maybe gone for like a five out. I don't think they. Yeah, it doesn't say here that they made a sub, so they still had Powell in the game. They, they, they elected. Put, they oh put, no, they. they, they no, you're right. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, I did see that. Yeah. So so the way they started it was Brunson pushing it up the left side, and I think they wanted to get Luca the ball. He shoves Boyan out of the way to get it, and then I thought the Matt or the jazz did a great job of double teaming on luca you know i felt like brunson kind of had an advantage to just attack and that maybe that should have been option one of the play is just brunson coming hard down the left side of the floor and attacking to his left hand and it was interesting after the game so they put two on the ball on luca and dinwiddie was on the right side and so gobert in theory didn't have anyone to guard it was all smalls out there but he said that he saw the way it played out in the brooklyn game where dinwiddie hit the winning three when they double teamed luca and so he was actually ready for the pass to go to dinwiddie and he really contested it extremely well and dinwiddie barely drew iron i mean i think luca did the right thing getting off the ball but the play developed so slowly that they didn't really have time to take full advantage of the double team and, and that's exactly why I was bothered by going full court is that you have 11 seconds, you're only down one, and they did nothing. There was no sort of threat inside the arc to occupy Gobert or anything like that. And, and you're down one. You don't need a three yeah. in, any, in any way, shape, or form. And there were there were there was a decoy kind of or within the action, but there just weren't as many possibilities that Utah had to think about. And yes, probably going to run through Luca. I get I get that, especially in his return game. But Utah cannot put a five defender lineup out there on the floor and being able to attack the weak points and get, you know, do get the blender churning is something that I really hoped Dallas would do and they did not really do at all. Yeah, I think they just ended up wasting a little bit too much time by having to kind of look backwards after Brunson had already dribbled it up to get it to Luka. And then they couldn't take advantage of the double team. Let's talk more about the meat of this game, though. And the big theme that I had was this this is the first game since game one that the utah jazz like actually looked like a basketball team out there right i mentioned what they were doing against the switches hard rolls hard cuts right they actually were starting to get offensively now some spot ups where guys are actually breaking the paint and kicking out to shooters even more they made real rotations on, on the defensive was, end it was Danny. unbelievable and like bogdanovich got into luca more often than i've seen from him in, in years 
And I mean the execution. Well, and, and Bogdanovich on Brunson too. I think sure. was even because he started off on on Brunson, and that was just to have someone who Brunson like couldn't bully and just shoot right over on like those little dotted line shots was huge. And his energy, I mean, his energy level was awesome. Like he was getting bogey chance and well deserved. Like he's just not a guy you think of as like an energy guy, and there really isn't anyone like that on the Jazz other than maybe House. So I think you know, he challenged himself or Quinn Snyder challenged him to just be that guy. And he started trying to do it in game three, but he really did it in this game. And it was extremely effective. It was also a big game for Jordan Clarkson. They leaned on him for 36 minutes compared to only 24 for Mike Conley. 25 points, 9 of 16 from the field, including 4 of 8 from floater range and 3 of 5 from 3, plus 18 in his minutes so that means they were negative 8 17 sorry because they won by one in the 16 minutes Carson was not on the floor yeah and his floater game has been really important he took some tough threes but he made him oh I did want to talk about one other thing on Bogdanovich too sure to just get an example of how his level of intensity at one point he's denying Brunson out on the floor and they Finney Smith has it up top Brunson cuts back door and Boyan just dove on the ground there wasn't even a pass thrown he was just like they might throw a backdoor pass I'm gonna just dive to stop this backdoor pass that might happen <laughs> and then it, that actually when he fell down it left Brunson open but Finney Smith just missed him and they threw it to Josh Green who missed a corner three instead but it was uh just the, the level of intensity that he had was really good I mean I think that was just something that Utah was missing to just have someone who like Gobert plays hard but he's also that's kind of like a given that's what he's supposed to do to just get it from one of these perimeter players who have been shit on so much for their defense and uh, justifiably so was impressive to just say no like I'm not going to be this person that just can't do this right like I'm gonna actually try harder and do it and that was that was really inspiring I was I was very impressed by that we thought that the return of Luca would allow Jason Kidd to run a significantly tighter rotation. And particularly, there hasn't, I mean, he hit shots in one of the games, but there wasn't really a clear place for Josh Green, considering how aggressively yeah. the Jazz were defending him. Well and, well, and particularly with Klebe only playing 18 minutes, they right. ran into some problems having to play him and Powell together. They did. And so green took four shots he only made one of those four and having gobert or Whiteside on him just it, it made life so much more difficult in the mavericks and blaming you know clubus fouls are an important part of that but also just you know at, at a certain point you just need to absolutely as aggressively as you can lean on your seven best players yeah they just i mean it's they won game three with only 22 minutes from Kleba, which i wouldn't have thought that they would necessarily be able to do but they also shot completely lights out the three-point shooting by the Mavs in this game was hilarious where in the first half I think they made three and I, I can't remember it's like three out of 18 or four out of 18 for three in the first half yeah they ended up actually five of 24 compared oh the to first five, just in the first just half in the first half and then it was five yes, of 15 for the yeah for right, the good yeah I, I had that in my mind 24 hours ago and then I, then I forgot it and then they made I think 10 to 20 eight out of 10 in the th in the third quarter oh yeah in the third yeah the third alone was oh it was ridiculous yeah it was eight out of ten you're right yeah and then in the fourth they started missing again and it was I thought it was actually somewhat independent of the defense being played <laughs> frankly like I thought the jazz defense in the third quarter was actually pretty good and they were just they made every single three-pointer and even some of those were slightly contested um and the jazz again when I talk about the rotations it was hey if someone drives and you throw it to the corner someone 
someone can rotate down from the wing and take that guy and then maybe someone will even rotate to the guy above the break there as well or at least you're forcing someone to shoot above the break and i guess this would be a good time to talk about just like kind of how luca affected things both for good and for ill in this one i know we'll get to the offense but i thought that he gave the jazz and i thought this was really important a place to attack when the mavs were on defense and that helped them get to some of their better stuff well and particularly the way they were playing it too and i think luca you know he obviously wasn't 100 he played 34 minutes i think that was the most that they could play him he didn't look like you know you didn't see him wincing with the calf like he didn't re-aggravate it which was all really good you know it seems like he really and this is about the amount of time you'd expect him to miss so i don't think they like brought him back too soon or anything like that i think with the 2-1 lead they weren't gonna push it but i think maybe they almost protected him too much you could say because normally i think they would just switch him on to some of these guys particularly because it takes away that spot up action from the jazz and just makes them go one-on-one yeah donovan mitchell can be a good one-on-one player but he's also not he can get hot but he's also not just like totally unstoppable by where you just can't deal with him in an isolation throughout the entire portion of the game and i think they'd still rather deal with that than guys like boyan or conley taking open threes and but instead they just didn't ever switch any pick and rolls involving luca and that was allowing the maps to get down or the jazz to get downhill this is going to be one of those things where i always mess up the two teams names and then help had to come and then they were able to kick out and actually get the blender moving for the first time in a while and the jazz only hit 10 out of 35 from downtown but they got up 35 three-point attempts the offense actually looked good for the first time in a while the offensive rebounding a big part of why there was so much offensive rebounding number one was gobert was just relentless but number two was the Mavs were in rotation a little bit more it wasn't just a set defense try to just take a drive in or play the pick and roll two on two and throw some stuff up for Mitchell it was actually the ball being moved around and then Gobert being able to get inside position without whoever was guarding him just standing right next to him the the whole time what else we got to talk about for this one the white side minutes going better for the Jazz than they have at some points in the series part of that being Josh Green on the floor uh Whiteside was not a big part of the offensive rebound barrage, but I thought I thought he played totally fine. Mitchell. Yeah, it was interesting. We thought they might go small, mm-hmm. and instead, be, and think in part because Powell had to play more, that they were able to, and they even went with Josh Green at center quite a bit as well or maybe you'd call Bertans the center though he only played three minutes he missed both of his shots which were wide open threes so I think that made it a little easier for Whiteside to exist out there Josh Green was one of four from three he was three of five in the in the last game um the Mavs I think another um aspect of Luka being back offensively was that they just stopped going to Brunson as much Brunson had 41 and 31 points in the last two games and he was at 23 on 7 of 18 but didn't have necessarily the same effect and they didn't really go at Mitchell Bob Volgaris had it that they only put Mitchell in screening actions four times in the first half whereas Luka the Mavs put him in 10 and then Dwight Powell they put him in 10 because he was out there so much with Kleba being in foul trouble and they did great on those opportunities do you want to celebrate the jazz successfully doing a peel switch <laughs> yeah that was yeah that was another thing i meant to talk about of them actually playing real basketball with appeal switches you get beat someone in this case gobert steps up to help and so you peel into the corner to guard the guy that he was guarding and 
hopefully either intercept the pass or at least close out to him mitchell actually got a couple of steals in that situation and the utah jazz actually committed fewer turnovers than the dallas mavericks uh, amazingly enough uh neither side had many steals <laughs> they both had four but they actually forced at least that was more than they'd been getting it is let's see what else yeah house to me really adds i mean on ball defense is important but he's also the guy who will fly around and he's not perfect in terms of where to rotate but he will really charge out there and at least force the guy off the line a little bit just with some speed and athleticism which uh, of course they desperately need jazz don't go at Doncic basically the whole third when dallas outscores them 39 24 and it looked like oh man everything was going so great for utah in the first half they're up 10 at halftime and they're down by five after the third quarter and i thought their offensive approach really kind of waned there that was again dallas's shooting was completely insane i didn't think their defense was that bad in that quarter but they stopped getting as much of the churn they were missing threes when they did Finally, they go at him right at the start of the fourth, and they got a dunk uh, in pick and roll off the pocket pass. They mentioned that Mitchell got a layup off that in the last two minutes uh, as well. thought Quinn Snyder had some really nice ATOs, including the hammer play for Mitchell with under 40 seconds to go, but also it seemed like they were getting good looks out of timeouts basically the entire night. Luca's alley-oop passing, he's probably the second best other than Trey, uh, Trey Young in that category. And it, Gobert did break up one of them, but two of them, he got it just right over his outstretched fingertips to Paula for the dunk. Reggie Bullock, oh, um, just another 46 minutes for him. <laughs> <laughs> and he 46 for him, 40 for Finney Smith. Yeah, well, I, I didn't mention Finney Smith because he's done. I think Finney Smith was 47 and Bullock was 45 last time. And let me see if I have any other notes here before we talk adjustments. No, I think that's about it here. So other than our constant refrain for Morehouse and Les O'Neill, which it seems like maybe Snyder is going to potentially get there. House played 13 minutes. He did miss a couple of threes, but O'Neill was one of six from three and he played 33. I don't know if they're going to start House, but that'd be really interesting. Gobert i'm interested to see whether we might see a little hacker it's basically a hacker whenever he gets it inside the the mavs i think the biggest thing they can do is just get kleba playing out there more so they can go five out and just be totally unstoppable again but the biggest variable has just been the mavs three-point shooting when they've hit well over 40 percent on like 45 attempts per game then they've won in the series when they've shot a more normal percentage than the jazz have won and i guess the other thing for dallas is just attacking mitchell more I might even try to get like Luca into the post some. I think that might be more comfortable for him with the calf than trying to push off and blow by guys the whole way. What do you think of the whole like Mike Conley only playing 24 minutes? Is he just, is that going to be about it for him or should they try to get him out there more? Clarkson outplayed him in, in game four. I don't expect yeah. that to happen every time. So I, I think you need to be ready for one of those two, but not both of those two, assuming Mitchell, when Mitchell is on the floor, like the three of them together is just too many different places to attack. So you can ride the hot hand to an extent. And I thought that they didn't, they didn't need Connolly's playmaking as much. I thought that Clark, Clarkson wasn't distributing a ton. He, he did keep the ball moving. He had no credit assist, but he did have some secondary assists and everything else. And I, I think what I would try to do there is when Powell's on the floor, that's when I would try to get those Conley minutes and try to utilize him in, in pick and roll against conventional. Or, or for the love of God, every time Davis Bertans is at center. <laughs> And then when they go to more of a switching group, that's when I think Clarkson is more valuable. 
hopefully you you want to avoid Conley having to defend Brunson defensively and maybe just the thought is that Clarkson just he can be targeted but he at least has a little more size so he's not just so obvious there I think the if you are going to play O'Neal I might actually consider going Boyan on Brunson and trying O'Neal on Luka because maybe Bogdanovich is a little bit better on Luka but I thought he like really caused problems for Brunson just with his strength whereas O'Neal is just was too slow and just couldn't compete to stay with him and then was too short as well so maybe O'Neal he's shorter than Luca too but he can like I think that's just the overall greater value add there but of course as I mentioned I would try to get some more house out there instead for Dallas I do think they should go back to trying to emphasize Brunson a little bit more particularly I would say early on in the game like let Luca kind of ease into things a little bit more and conserve his energy for the end not that Luca like didn't play well at the end of this game by any means Brunson only played 35 minutes I that seems too low to me and they played Dinwiddie more they also had a time where it was Dinwiddie with no Brunson or Luca I don't think that that's a great idea and hopefully they don't have to play Josh Green 16 minutes he was negative nine so they, they even with Luca they are a little bit thin particularly if Kleba gets into foul trouble and he's just got to be smarter like he went for a Mitchell pump fake he's he got some bad dumb fouls in this game where are we going next the other 2-2 series uh and that is the delirious sometimes nonsense that is Grizzlies Timberwolves and that continued in Saturday's game four which Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Minnesota won by one, though they were up by four going to the very end when Desmond Bain hit a hit a three, which actually he got closer than he should have been to being fouled on it. 
this was a wild game, as it seems like every single thing in this series has been. Whether we want to talk about the 56 combined personal fouls or the 32 turnovers. Or uh, basically both teams shooting 50% from three the entire game. I I thought actually that the defense in this game was pretty good considering the crazy three-point percentages from both squads. Like Jordan McLaughlin going four of four from downtown. Beverly four out of six. You know, I think that's... Memphis will probably live with that and that's really only how these teams got to you know mid 110s offensive ratings in this one yeah both teams 50 percent or lower from two-point range and some weird missed free throws from each team Memphis had six and Minnesota had nine missed free throws granted they took 40 but I mean that's not that bad they're both over 75 percent yeah I guess that's true it just it it seemed like a lot of misses at the time yeah weird missed free throws we could talk about in the Warriors game (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, I guess we can. We'll save the. How is this series still going on? Games until the end. <laughs> but although a couple of these, I, I think I don't feel that badly about. The Hawks one is is the one that I'm like, come on, man, really? You guys blew a 14 point lead in the fourth quarter, and that's why this series is still going on in Game Three. And anyway, this seems yeah. like a, a strange place to go early in this game. But I thought that you know we early on in the series, Jared Vanderbilt, they were having real trouble keeping him on the floor, and then in the games in Minnesota, 32 minutes, 35 minutes, and they were about even when he was out there and contributed on the offensive glass, had a couple of nice finishes, worked on defensively, and consider how he was so key to their defense in the regular season i've been happy to see vanderbilt be a big part of it so far yeah and they moved him not necessarily to backup center because nasri did play five minutes it was just that towns i credit chris finch when on the rare times that carl towns isn't in foul trouble he's just gonna play him Mm -hmm. (laughs) so like the two games he hasn't been in major foul trouble he's played 43 and 42 minutes in the series which not coincidentally are the two games that the minnesota Timberwolves have won I think the biggest thing I want to talk about, though, is John Morant, 4-13, did have 15 assists, 11 points, only 3 of 3 from the foul line. But to me, and he had a few ridiculous moves on occasion, right? Like the one late where he went behind his back in the full court and hit this ridiculous hanging layup, but only four field goals and three three free throw attempts. Well, and, and on that note, John Morant did not take a mid-ranger and did not take an above the big three at all in game four. And yeah, he had the 15 assists. The Wolves play this aggressive defense. He can activate that. But to me, I don't know when it was. Uh, people out of Memphis are saying it's happening game two when he got hit. I think it was by the thigh, con- the thigh contusion. Um, And then I thought I really noticed a difference in his gait as we talked about in game three after the Russell offensive foul need him in the midsection. Then he took a foul on that as well. It could just be accumulation of all these things. However, he just wasn't attacking that much. His handle looked extremely loose, I thought, last game. Less so this game, but he really just wasn't getting into traffic. We weren't seeing those zero steps. When he did attack, it was almost always just hard attack to his left. We didn't see really the hard change of direction very often from him. So I don't know if he's dealing with some kind of an injury in his midsection there. And we may just not find out about that until they get eliminated. And then there's an article about it. I'm going to nominate our buddy Chris Haynes for that one. But if he continues to look like he's looked the last two games, like, I think the Wolves are at least co-favorites in this series. Like they're, they just need him to be better. Like they can't, you can't count on Desmond Bain to put up 34 points on eight to 12 from three every game. And Dylan Brooks, you can't count on him to be efficient 
every game either so i'm i'm very concerned about john maybe when he gets home and he gets a little more rest it'll look better i do agree with me though that he just from the way he's looked attacking just has not been the same that and minnesota has gotten and this part of it might is probably not injury related john Morant's just been shaky defensively overall minnesota has got more aggressive attacking Morant defensively and and that's bearing some real fruit for them too absolutely another Towns- concern, yeah sorry yeah, another concern for memphis is as much as Jaron Jackson has improved his foul committing rates over the course of his career, looking at it in the aggregate, that has not improved over the course of the, in, in this series where he only played 23 minutes and fouled out. And it's at the point where you, you a lot of times we talk about how coaches should trust players more. And the worst thing that can happen is them actually fouling out. I don't know that Jaron Jackson can play a lot of minutes in this, especially if he's guarding towns, which he hasn't done that often for this exact reason without committing a bunch of fouls. It's just, it, it's been a huge problem for him in the series. No, it's true. And I thought his sixth foul was a bullshit call. It was. But aside from that, I mean, it's always some crap of just like fighting for position or boxing out or going for an offensive rebound or setting an illegal screen it's very rare he fouled out on a rim protection play as uh, taylor jenkins reached into his pocket for the challenge that he had already successfully used for the 97th time on that play it looked like if anything it was i think it was anderson shoved towns in the back before jackson could have committed any foul whatever they fouled him out they didn't have a challenge left but i mean it's worth noting like steven adams who they did play for four minutes in the first half they started Tillman in this game and he picked up some fouls. They brought Clark in immediately early in the second. And he's probably been their best big in this series. But even Clark is somewhat limited. He's the center. Tillman is the center. Steven Adams is the center. And it just gives the inability to go to a group that's a little bit more dynamic athletically. Jackson, even though he hasn't made shots that much this year is still a feared shooter he can shoot on the move they don't have anyone else at the four or five positions who can do that and just not having him it's it really puts the Grizz at a massive disadvantage like his improvement was so such a big part of why they were better this year so yeah I mean like those are arguably their two best players I mean maybe it's Bain Bain certainly has been in this series but Ja and Jackson not being themselves like that's the Memphis Grizzlies are not the Memphis Grizzlies should we talk a little bit about how Carl Towns had a better game this time 33 points in 42 minutes for him 14 to 17 from the foul line three of five from downtown 14 to 17 from the foul line was huge also towns got a couple of offensive rebounds and i I thought he you know he he was able the attention that he draws did generate good looks but he was also taking he was also being more assertive with the ball in his hands i thought i thought he did a a much better job working within the flow and maximizing the flow in this game and i thought ultimately that the grizz lost the court in terms of how they're defending him in the f- the fourth quarter they weren't really making his catches tough they stopped trying to double team him aggressively they, they were they too really busy. let him get comfortable they were, they were too busy appreciating the majesty of jordan mclaughlin <laughs> What did Jordan McLaughlin shoot from three this year? It was like 26% or something, wasn't it? It doesn't matter. He was four of four in this one. (laughs) Yeah, and we were wondering why they were playing him, but he was awesome. Plus eight, 16 points, 14 minutes. Also, I think he was 32%. All right, he must have improved a lot towards the end of the year then because I think the last time I checked it, he was like in the mid-20s. Yeah, 32% for 31.8, so yeah. Yeah, so I thought Towns, he was just getting catches. He was getting catches like at the elbow, not 20 feet from the basket, and just wasn't being contested that hard by Clark, who was guarding him at that point in time. And so he was able to turn and face, 
get a couple of shots that way and just kind of live in his office and do what he did in the regular season in a way that they haven't really allowed him to do for a while they also are still trying the force him so hard left that he can basically just go in a straight line to the basket but like kind of to his left hand I, I didn't really care for that that was the initial strategy if you're gonna do that you better bring someone over immediately to take the charge on him and, and have that ready which they didn't the gambit to start tillman didn't really work out he was negative nine had five fouls and then i guess gets us to our next point in time here it's rare that i will agree with officiating complaints and we'll get to a game like that i think that they taylor jenkins uh, had a point here uh that you know particularly all the bad charge calls in this game the number of fouls on his guys in the first quarter on pretty questionable calls the two charges in a row on pain one of which he successfully challenged and then they gave him another one that was an even worse call that he just couldn't challenge anywhere it's like no no we're giving desmond pain a charge <laughs> that's that's going to happen uh and so what he said was i've never seen a more inconsistent and arrogant officiated game which first off uh, taylor they don't teach you what an adverb is at wharton and number two the grizz have had this victim complex about officiating for a long time going back to the take that for data that's how he said it right yes he yeah. said it data <laughs> hollinger was reminiscing about spending a whole day going through every call in the game and like sending shit into the league office after that but i think in this case it was they got a pretty rough whistle in this one getting called for 33 fouls to 23 the 40 free throws from the wolves well, and it, the whole weekend, I, I, especially after this game, referees are having a lot of trouble and players move very quickly now, adjudi correctly adjudicating these block charge situations where I always, you know, like we did all these games for on the NBA strategy stream this year. And I always talk about the snapshot and that when the when the offensive player takes off, that's when you should be considering it. And it seems like what the refs are often looking at is, is the player moving? And they're not even looking at the upper body. They're looking at the lower body. And so guys are moving all the time and they're just like, oh, that's insufficient. No, I agree. And, and there was another one the Herb Jones had one in the Phoenix New Orleans game where on Aiton, where again, if it's when he gathers the ball, he's just nowhere close and he steps over. And yeah, you know what? At the point of impact, it could look like he's in his path, but it's not the point of impact that's supposed to be the inquiry. It's supposed to be where is the guy when he gathers the ball? Um, or, or at least starts his upward shooting motion. Let's see what else I got from this one. Desmond Bain, eight, Desmond Bain, eight of 12 from three, rest of team, seven of 30. Or sorry, not seven of 30, seven of 20. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good performance from rest of team. Considering 30, rest 35%, of team. 35%. League, rest of team almost never is league average. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and Bain oh, and kept them in it talked yeah. about the anthony edwards injury scare yeah that was weird i didn't see i thought maybe bang knees on a free throw box out it didn't it, it was like anything rippling up the floor and then all of a sudden he just kind of lost it and i'm like oh no like that oftentimes non-contact situations it might have been related to some previous contracts like oh, especially with how well yeah. he played for for a lot of these playoffs and just i was just really disappointed for about like six minutes and then it was during a tv timeout john krasinski tweeted out that he was that he was like jogged back on the floor i'm like hell yeah like and then and then edwards you know 24 points 7 to 14 from the field had a couple of big defensive plays so happy so happy he's not hurt but also he was a big part of the win uh part of why I think the Grizz got away from their aggressive denials of Towns and trying to push him out on the floor was that Minnesota started really finding the thread on how to deal with it when Towns was fronted 
getting guys to come up towards the free throw line and then a lot of times they would have to bring in someone from the weak side and then they would just throw it to the opposite corner wolves got a bunch of threes off of that um the grizz for their part were getting a ton of threes off of the carl anthony towns attacking him and pick and roll two on the ball swing the ball to the opposite side so his jaw was still having an effect there's a reason he had 15 assists or and he had a bunch more plays where he started the chain with two on the ball and pick and roll d'angelo russell three of 12 from the field we didn't see the ridiculous like him being super aggressive and selfish in the last couple of minutes of this one even though it was a close game but i i didn't he did have seven assists but i didn't think he was a huge you know he ended up with the one of the better plus minuses on the team but i didn't think he was that big a positive though memphis did not attack him nearly enough again yet again concur and maybe we'll see i think it's kind of a game by game thing russell didn't play well he did have one huge shot late going at jaw where he just got to the foul line and then pump faked twice and just shot a one-footed lean back shot over jaw chris finch using his challenge when memphis would have just had four seconds left on the shot clock wasn't fantastic if they had gotten it back i think he lost that anyway dylan brooks hit some completely ridiculous shots and also had some completely ridiculous finishes his arms are so short but he just barrels into the basket and he just throws it as high as he can off the backboard and he actually makes a a fair number of those there was the play where another one of the officiating things oh no that was actually i'm sorry finch actually did win his challenge on that play he did where yeah thank you i i'd forgotten that but it was four seconds left on the shot clock and they jackson got hit on the arm causing him to lose the ball out of bounds one of those like matador defense plays where you hit to get the guy's arm but not the ball and so it was deemed to be minnesota ball even though a foul had clearly been committed and they never even touched the ball so that's minnesota ball and the, the wnba has it so you can award the ball to the correct team in that situation and there's no reason for the nba to not have that as well i thought the wolves really dodged some bullets late with missed memphis wide open three-pointers jones had a big one that obviously could have tied it at the end in the last minute who else had one beverly did miss two huge free throws up five with 43 seconds left that enabled the grizz to get the two for one with that jaw attack right after the missed free throw for that spectacular layup and then edwards missed an iso three probably going a little bit too early and then they pushed it up and man, Tyus Jones was wide open for the three that, that could have tied it and, and he'll just be kicking himself on that yeah Bain had a wide open three with 20 or uh 230 left that missed and I think there was one other one as well but it was good finish by by the Wolves anything else we want to talk about here in terms of uh, adjustments for the next game go after D'Angelo Russell more often as Memphis and even um, though can, Tillman can didn't have Bain... the greatest game I still think he's the right choice to start who's that? oh Tillman yeah 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 maybe I, I think Tillman can play Tons better than he did at the start of this one the only playing Bane you did get in foul trouble at the start of the game and I, I thought Jenkins he was like, yeah, you basically fouled a bunch of guys out of the game in the first quarter. Like, no, actually, I get it that, like, Brooks and Jackson, you probably need to be judicious with them because those guys can't stop themselves from picking up fouls. But Bain and Ja, you could probably leave them in with two fouls. And they, they got blitzed at the end of the first when those guys were out. 
And then Bain was only on 28 minutes at the start of the fourth. He'd been out for a little bit. He's been their best player. Put him back in the game. Let him play the whole fourth. Like he only played 35 minutes. You know, like I know I get it that he plays hard, but that's he's the only guy who was playing well for your team. Like you got to get him out there. As far as defending Towns, yeah, I do like Tillman as a possibility still to just start off. The question is, do you double Towns initially? Try to like get him out of the game early. I think when he starts well, then he he. To, to me, if you're, if you're going to double regularly, then probably just begin with Carr and maybe maybe grind it grind it down yeah. a little bit and then bring in Tillman. That's another theory of it. Um, one thing I'd like to see more of from the Wolves are shooting sets for Carl Anthony Towns. They got him open off the ball for a three pointer at the top of the key. I think that's something that they can do a lot of because they're the Grizz are not switching off the ball necessarily. So I, I'd like to see some more of that. Get try to get some more three pointers for Towns. What do you think happens the rest of the way? Minnesota has played very well in the series overall. I the jaw the jaw injury like him not looking quite right does well. And and to be fair too, Edwards to me hasn't looked fantastic the last couple of games either. I my inclination is this goes seven, and I will pick the home team in game seven. But Minnesota absolutely can win this series. Yeah, get a winner of game five, as it so often is, I think uh, will be a massive favorite. And yeah, I don't have a great feel for it. I mean, I think if Ja can play well, then I think the Grids are still big favorites in the series. If he can't play well, if he can't approximate what he was in the regular season, they could be in trouble. They Maybe they'll grind it out. Who knows? They're definitely not beating Golden State with that Ja Morant, though. The Ja Morant we've seen the last, I guess, three games now. So, I Nate, guess, we, have, yeah. we have five more series, all of which the leading team has three wins which of those do you find most compelling every day our world gets a little more connected but a little further apart but then there are moments that remind us to be more human thank you for calling amica insurance hey uh i was just in an accident don't worry we'll get you taken care of at amica we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking it's human amica Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, I think it's got to be Boston-Brooklyn just because there was so much interest in that series. And I guess the place I wanted to start with on this is that this Boston team, they kind of feel like the 2020 Lakers with their physicality. That's the team that they most remind me of. We haven't seen really... The Raptors were a little bit like this, but they were still kind of more of a veteran skill team. The Celtics just have totally worn down the Nets. They've beaten them up physically. They're just so much more athletic, so much more overwhelming. We haven't really seen a great team that does it this way in a while is maybe since okc back in 2016 the last kevin durant year when we saw them going up against the warriors other the mega, than that the 2020 lakers lineup. team yeah and, and where they're yeah i gotta tell Hanja he he's called the pool 
Warriors lineup, the Megadeth lineup, and I gotta I gotta let him know that that's that's taken for the Serge Ibaka at center 2016 lineup, which that, that was that was one of your one of your better ones. Um, so that's what it feels like though, just offensive rebounds, transition, knocking guys off of spots, intensity, overall athleticism, finishing, pressure on the rim. Not to mention that the Celtics are also extremely skilled as well, but they've just totally overwhelmed the Brooklyn Nets in just about every possible way in this series and one of my favorite encapsulations of that was there was a stretch I believe was in the second quarter when Jalen Brown was just taking various different nets in overwhelming them and just just being getting to the basket or or just getting a mid-ranger and hitting it in their face you also had that stretch where he was brutalizing Blake Griffin and I you know that you have a, a second best player who's doing that while Tatum you know he didn't have the most efficient offensive game overall but I thought he played well offensively and with what Jason Tatum did defensively yet again in this one yeah he and obviously the rest of the Celtics as well I I guess that's like Kevin Durant in some ways this game was to me more dispiriting for him than game two to have Kevin Durant play 46 minutes and only 12 shooting possessions eight assists five turnovers 16 points pretty incredible to see that and then for Kyrie to not be any better either like he played 43 minutes and it would have he would have played 47 had it not been for foul trouble 0 for 7 from three-point range for him 16 points and yeah you know what Bruce Brown had 26 points 10 and 19 okay you know Seth Curry scored a little bit Claxton Patty Mills fine you know whatever but and the whole point of the Brooklyn Nets is these two guys are going to beat you and they haven't even come close in the end you brought up dispiriting and and I think Kyrie Irving's performance overall fits that description not only the 16 points on 19 shooting possessions but also some of the fouls he committed some of the shitty defense that he played out there the margins are so razor thin for this Nets team considering how weak their overall talent level is those guys need to be superlative and he was not yeah and I think also the Nets are still coming in dumb in this series that just not taking advantage of matchups like they're not even forcing the Celtics to like switch out of stuff very little off-ball action for either of these guys very little even of like them screening for each other they really the more I, I've thought about it they really miss if not James Harden some other point guard because Kyrie just isn't that like we've just seen that Kyrie anytime he's really been asked to be the leader of an offense rather than the guy who really organizes you rather than just someone who's going to go out and score and then okay hey if you stop me scoring then I'll pass it and sometimes I won't even do that like he's never really done that he's not been able to run the show as a traditional point guard really at any point in his career and he just hasn't been able to get the nets organized identify mismatches run actual plays which they don't really seem to do very often like I, I thought it was telling when an early ATO from the Nets is just let's ISO KD at the nail against Jason Tatum. And then your ATO is Bruce Brown coming up to set a screen and trying to slip out of it and just immediately getting blocked by Al Horford. Like that was the ATO, like nothing sexy, no off ball movement, nothing designed to confuse the switching or anything like that. And Kyrie, of course, lamented the lack of time to gel and like, eh, well, <sighs> you, you might've had not, not exactly the most self-aware individual Kyrie. Irving 
Uh, Grant Williams was awesome in this game too. I thought he just had a lot of great plays. Like they closed with him, had a, a late steal just on an inbounds play where, where they got in transition after that. After an ATO, he just like deflected the inbounds pass. They never even got the ball inbounds after the timeout. Um, yeah, I know. What were some of the other main themes here? I mean, it's, it kind of just. I, Nate, I have an important yeah. question for you. Yeah. Is Robert Williams Wolverine? <laughs> well, he he looked good. Ime Yudoka said he looked like him in... Yeah, because Kyle Lowry is not, by the way. He didn't play today, despite saying that he was Wolverine. Yeah, three and a half weeks after the surgery and got an alley-oop. And so he's supposed to be on no restrictions next time. They might even start him next time over Tice. But they went to Grant Williams at center for 15 minutes of this game as well. Uh, Yeah, Robert, Robert Williams... I'm very glad that this is one of the few times when they've given this super short timeline and it's actually been true and he looks fine. Exactly. And and now that we're like, we're thinking big, big things, at least I am about the Boston Celtics having Williams back is a huge part of that. And they will need him in the next round against what's looking like it will be the Milwaukee Bucks. And to have him look this good in that next series, I don't. I would be surprised if it starts much earlier than a week from now. So gets even more time, and I'm extremely amped. Jason oh. Tatum was a monster, by the way. Whew. 39 points, 13 to 29 from the field, four to 13 from three, nine to 10 from the foul line, six assists, six steals, <sighs> and I mean there were three times in the first half where. KD just was like trying to catch the ball and not only is he getting pushed off of his spots but he just like didn't even like seal Tatum and Tatum just knocks the ball away they got a, a couple of steals I think one of them they knocked out of bounds and so KD you just you got it like okay you're getting bumped your situation's tough they're not running any plays whatever you got to just be tougher and get the ball on some of these to me the only demerit and he had a fabulous game for Tatum was he had a couple of really just bad passes for turnovers and Brooklyn doesn't force that many of them so it's kind of like if you could stay out of your own way you'll do you'll do fine in that respect and but again I mean he was fabulous 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 overall and yeah and by the way the Boston Celtics mentioned his six steals they had 13 steals 25 fast break points to nine for the Nets 25 points off turnovers I'm sorry no 37 points off turnovers the Nets had 25. I hit the way the box score does that. but And really, the Nets were probably good enough offensively in this game, even with the struggles of KD and Kyrie, if they could have just taken care of the boards a little bit better and just not turned it over like crazy. And then the Celtics had a 200 offensive rating during the competitive part of the game in transition. So basically, anytime they got in transition, it was two points. Well, it's a good thing that the Nets' transition defense is going to get solved by the announced return of Ben Simmons in Game 4. Everyone's shitting on Ben Simmons. It would be idiotic to bring him back. Down it would three. be like yeah. Seth, Seth and I talked about this a little bit. I mean, it, it's a it's a it, the the sequencing of this is bad, but playing him in Game Four in a three zero series would kind of be worse than the mocking that is coming. And, and you know they said, and this is a Woj has been carrying a shitload of water for the Nets this whole time, going back to the Harden trade, and so Shams was a little bit closer to the pin. I'm guessing by just saying that he wasn't going to play and that it was a surprise that he's not playing. Well, yeah, no shit, it's a surprise that they're down 3-0 in the series and Woj then said oh yeah he felt some back soreness when he woke up on Sunday that's why they're ruling him out because you know fine the team can't say we're not playing because of 3-0 because we'd never give up we would never give up on 3-0 we're still gonna come back and we're gonna be the first team ever to do it if anyone can do it it's a team with KD and Kyrie but yeah so they can't say why it is and so it's PR a PR annoyance but yeah it would be insane to bring it back 
at this point in a hopeless endeavor like this like just be healthy for training camp next year and maybe you know he may have even felt some soreness and just they would have played him anyway if they were still in the series but they're not yeah i wonder if ben simmons would help them in this series i I mean really what the nets need i i go back to their inability well number one to defend and this is not a just unstoppable Celtics juggernaut. And they turned it over a ton. And that's part of why their defensive rating was so bad in this game. But they also couldn't get a defensive rebound. And it's not like the Celtics shot amazingly well from three either. The Nets did get better shot selection in this game. You know, it wasn't just all mid-rangers, partially because KD and Kyrie just didn't shoot as often. And they did shoot 12 of 29 from three. Things got desperate when they went to Blake Griffin, who actually hit a couple of threes and a couple of free throws, but then got torched on the other end. And they they stuck with him too long. They should have gone back to Claxton. Big surprise that Andre Drummond taken out of the playoff rotation when the team was desperate. Always seems to happen. But after all that, I think uh, I was really impressed by the passing of Marcus Smart in this game as well. I think he just had some really nice connector plays, plays at the end of the clock, guys slipping out of screens that he found. See if I have any other ones. And and along those lines, Boston posting a 121 offensive rating when they shot 12 of 39 from three. Sure, sure. Peyton Pritchard, 10 points, four or five. Again, they completely failed to attack him on the offensive end. Just no organization there. They're willing to switch Claxton onto Tatum, and Tatum just hit a few ridiculous shots on him. I think that was something that they just had to live with. I don't think we really need to talk adjustments that much because it's a a 3-0 series. At this point, I guess for the Nets post-mortem, just overall, especially if they're going to play this way, just so station-to-station offensively with no actual system, and they're not going to have like any kind of a hub to play improvisationally where they're moving the ball and you know a, a Draymond type of guy or even a Blake Griffin to help set guys up and get some movement offensively you can't have two non-shooters out there like they just and missing Joe Harris obviously killed them I think also just not having any kind of a viable stretch five or even a stretch four on this team Patty Mills, maybe in a vacuum, is a better player than Jeff Green. It's not like Jeff Green has been lighting it up against the Warriors in the opposite conference. But just having a guy who's got a little bit of size and could stand out by the three-point line and shoot would just be so massive against this Celtics team when they just need more space and they just don't have it. Like, there's two guys inside the arc. Like, even the two stars, when one of them's going at it, they don't space out enough. They aren't intentional about when they ISO having the shooter one pass away so they, they can't get in the gaps and dig down at Katie's dribble, which is vulnerable. I guess the one concern for Boston is that Derek White has kind of struggled. He's His shot looks really off. He looks like a little bit shook there. He's starting to pass up shots a little bit. Only played 14 minutes. It seemed like he was going to be part of their closing group, but Grant Williams has been so effective and now Robert Williams is back. So they, at least for this game, they probably don't need him. Uh, you know, if they go up against Miami or, or maybe Golden State or Phoenix or something, he'll probably be a larger part of, of what they're doing. Anything else? No. Let's move to Philly and Toronto, which I actually think is probably the most competitive of the remaining series. Now, that's somewhat in question. Barnes came back, but was one out of six, and four of his shots were threes. He looked limited, but at least gave them a body for 26. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Minutes. Fred Van Vliet had to exit in the second quarter with a nebulous hip injury. He seemed very upset with that. Maybe he just pulled a hip flexor or something, which again would be a likely... Again, when we say someone has to leave the game due to an injury, we don't, it's just a hip injury. We don't know exactly what it is, but you have to leave they, the well, game they, for an so injury. The, the description yeah. that's out there is that it's a left hip flexor strain. Ah, yeah. Okay, so that's a muscle, muscle injury. You leave a game for a muscle injury, you probably are going to be out for at least a week. So I would be surprised if he plays in the next game. But I think, again, we're seeing now toronto like they're very close to winning game two or i'm sorry game three and uh, they won this one pretty comfortably we're starting to see some of the things that worried you about philly what on that list do you think is most pressing joel Embiid's thumb yeah yeah the the opposable thumb has uh, been a key part of human evolution including the playing of basketball i will say i didn't see it bothering him too much he said it bothered him on the boards and then the other thing he said it bothered him on which i thought was interesting was passing and i went back and looked at all of his possessions after the fact because he was so vocal in his criticism of the officials and i want and i happened to see all of his turnovers in succession i realized that four of his turnovers were double team trying to throw a pass to the weak side that just either got intercepted or was like completely off target and so it's been confirmed he does have this ligament injury in his thumb and and it's on his it's on his right thumb which is his shooting hand yeah and he said i wish it was on my left thumb which i i do too i do too and so he said rebounding and passing were the two things that he had the most trouble with uh and at the free throw line it seemed like his jumper was okay in this one in the end Embiid finished 7 of 16 21 points five turnovers it's the second game in a row he's had a bunch of turnovers he said he injured it at some point in game three only had two offensive boards and his quote after the game where he gave a golf clap to the officials and then said oh the officials they had one job to do it's like really really the, what what is that job joel to in a series that's 3-0 to extend it one more game for what like it, it just seems uh, like this victim complex like i, I generally love joel Embiid and his public persona but first his comments about the mvp and like i don't know what else i have to do like there's this idea that people are like prejudiced against him in some way and this woe is me bullshit like and just come on man so i went back and looked at all of his possessions and i thought he had maybe like four possible beefs and maybe only two that were good uh he had a couple plays in the first quarter where he tried to do the sorry like go through the arm not even take a real shot and then just like barf something up and he didn't get the call on that i'm sorry like if you're if you don't get the call on that play i have no sympathy for you whatsoever when you're trying to seek you're doing something specifically to seek out a call and not getting it and then barfing away a possession um there was a play where scotty barnes after a, a front in the post kind of undercut him a little bit and backed away and that was probably a blocking foul he should he scored anyway by the way uh there was a play where he drove on scotty barnes at the nail chris boucher came over that was borderline you know whether it was verticality or not uh for forced to miss layup there uh 
There was an offensive rebound that he got after a hardened air ball where I thought he just totally flopped and there was extremely minimal contact that was in the fourth. And then he was about to jump into some guys and get fouled, but he traveled before he could do that later on. So I, you know, maybe there were two calls. But when you're Joel Embiid, like you shoot the ball that often and you play the way that you play, like you're just, you have to accept that there are going to be a few missed calls on you throughout the game. And to say that Joel Embiid doesn't get enough benefit of the refs and that the Sixers don't get enough benefit of the refs is absurd. Just as it was absurd when Daryl Morey was complaining back with Houston. Speaking of back in Houston, James Harden, five of 17 from the field, including one of five from floater range, or if you want to put it this way, one of six on twos outside of the restricted area also two of eight on three-pointers Harden did get to the line 11 times and had nine assists but this was distinctly not a dominant James Harden performance no and the whole team really struggled from two even even Embiid is not that dominant on two-pointers if he's not getting to the following he only shoots around 50 percent the team was 43 percent we worried about whether they could score inside the arc Tyrese Maxey four of 12 11 points and I think that the Raptors kind of figuring it out finally on Harden that they're just going to let him go one-on-one and not overhelp. They finally have gotten it through their heads these last two games of what they're going to do there. And that's really hurt Maxi's game because Harden was expert at seeking him out and when the defense was loaded to him also the Sixers haven't had the same effort level in transition and Bede only got like a couple of those deep post catches in transition situations in this game I don't know whether he's wearing down and you wouldn't think that the thumb would affect that necessarily Harden is not pushing the ball nearly as hard as he was early on and so they had 10 fast break points and the Raptors had 21 in this game and the Raptors outscored Philly in the paint Danny Green only 28 minutes like they've been relying on him to play high 30s he was two out of 10 so he he had a little bit of a struggle they went with Niang down the stretch instead but he's negative 13 he can't guard Pascal Siakam which is a problem for them and on that note Pascal Siakam 34 points and five assists 10 to 19 from the field and 13 to 15 from the free throw line him being as dominant as he was allowed the Raptors to weather the Van Vliet absence and Scotty Barnes not being all the way back you know and playing 26 minutes off the bench yeah and I wouldn't say that Siakam necessarily found something in this game like he did have the 34 points he got to the foul line a lot 44 minutes of course again but I thought he was just hitting some more shots in this one. He had a couple of, you know, banked three and a banked jumper from the free throw line that both went in. Like the, you miss those and that makes you eight of 19 from the field, 0 of four from three and 29 points on 27 shooting possessions. So it wouldn't have been nearly as dominant without those two plays. I thought he was very good defensively though. He had a couple of block shots coming over to help out uh, on Embiid to got a strip there uh I also thought that if we were going back to the ref thing that Siakam had a number of plays when he was working in the lane where he didn't get the foul call although he did get the 13 and 15 from the line so you know, again you're not going to get every single call he was able to force double teams when they had Niang on him I didn't think he was able to get much against Joel but they did a little bit more to screen for him in this one Thaddeus Young was really good in this one playing more as a backup center but also with the starters as Kem Birch started but only played six minutes despite not having not even being in foul trouble at all I didn't see anything about an injury there so I uh I watched this one later on tape so uh but yeah Young was really good had four offensive rebounds 
three steals and a block and five assists good plays and help defense yeah yeah he was distributing playing that same role he played with the bulls last year where he's effective precious achua just continues to really be a defensive stalwart he's probably been their best defender on Embiid as well and barnes again you know he came off the bench had to start the second half but did not close we'll see maybe if he can be feeling a little bit better by game number five which will be happening in philly well, and, and, and on know. that note with joel and bead saying they had one job game five of that series is on nba tv and as much as you hire <laughs> supporters of nba tv that is that is, there is not a grand conspiracy to make sure that we get an extra nba tv game on monday no no i, I don't believe so and I'm very interested to see what happens in this game. Like, is I think Philly will probably win it, but are they going to just overwhelm them again at home the way they did the first two games? That could very easily happen. The one thing is that Philly, to me, the fact that Philly is like letting this Toronto team without Van Vliet's and basically without Barnes still score pretty well, that's concerning. Like they are not a good defensive team. And But can they ramp up their effort and transition and, and win those aspects? They got beat on the offensive glass again, 13 to six. So that's a big part of why Toronto was able to win despite going eight to 34 from three when the Sixers shot over 40% again from downtown. So maybe they'll just, uh, they'll take care of business. They'll play harder because they're at home. Oh, they won't have home court advantage in the next series. And, you know, I, it's a shame that Van Vliet got injured. If Toronto had been able to win game three and Van Vliet were healthy, now you could say the same thing about Embiid, obviously, but, and Embiid, I mean, this injury that he had, this is the same injury that if you have surgery on it, you're out for like eight weeks or whatever. And Bam Adebayo had that surgery earlier this year, but of course you want to be healthy for the playoffs, so why not have it at that point? We'll see how debilitated he is. I, I do feel badly for him that it, yet again, I mean, this is going to be every single year other than 2020 when his team was drawing dead that he's been injured going at some point in the playoffs. But this could have been a pretty close series if Toronto had just had maybe a little better approach in the first two games. And obviously, if Embiid doesn't hit that ridiculous shot in Game 3 and Van Vliet is still healthy, we might be looking at a 2-2 series with Toronto playing better than Philly right now. But that is not the case. I expect Philly to close it out in Game 5. Do you want to go to the other series that could have ended 4-0 but didn't? And that's Golden State falling to Denver in Denver on Sunday? Yeah, I don't. we don't need to get into this too much. I think Golden State should handle them just fine in Game 5. I at least appreciate getting to go see another playoff game in person. Congratulations to Jordan Poole for being in, for being fully indoctrinated into the Splash Brothers by having a wild turnover half. Yes. Yeah, it, it was just, it was back to the same formula that it's always been with the Curry, Clay, Green, Kerr Warriors when it's just a bunch of fouls, somebody gets into foul trouble in the first half, a bunch of inexplicable turnovers where they are still scoring very well, but they're turning it over so much that they're running into problems. I do think this series has been very good for the development of Nikola Jokic. I think he is figuring out how to play well against Draymond Green, although Draymond Green still had a couple of just unbelievable steals on Jokic where he just appeared from nowhere from behind. Jokic usually has like unbelievable court awareness, but Green has been able to surprise him a couple of times. But in the post, Jokic has gotten more effective against Green. He's the biggest thing too has just been that he's hitting his three-pointer again. And now that that has to be closed out on, he's gotten a bunch of fouls on Green, including his fifth uh, on that. And and he's just completely imperturbable on these floaters in the lane. It's just incredible what kind of touch he, he has. And I think he's just kind of gotten used to the way that Green kind of gets his hand in there and, and bothers him a little bit. Uh, he had just like an unbelievable like fake over his right shoulder, up fake 
and just like fake green out of his shorts, which almost never happens for a layup. Had 18 points in the first quarter, although a lot of that was at the expense of Looney, but just continued to drive things for the Nuggets and then had the key pass out of a blitz pick and roll four on three situation where he threw it to the corner for Barton and he hit it to put him up five and and, end the game under 30 seconds to go what else we got to talk about from this one Monte Morris five of seven from three on his way to 24 points in 29 minutes Steph Curry missing four free throws in the same playoff game for the first time in his career first first any game he's ever missed four free throws regular season or postseason is what i read that could very well be true insane yeah pool missed one clay missed one uh bones highland had a ridiculous stretch in the stretch that i thought basically won the nuggets the game was at the start of the second quarter when highland went off and they went up i think by 17 he had three three three-pointers in about 90 seconds all of them deep threes that were 30 feet or longer according to the score sheet uh also had a blow by on clay thompson which was really the first time clay has looked a little bit slow but there was no help at the rim on that play that was in the second half the defense on monte morris in the third quarter by the warriors credit him for making five of five three-pointers and and overall i mean that was the nuggets were awesome from three they finally clamped down on him in the second half or the fourth quarter i think they only got up three attempts but one of them was that big barton three to ice it but in the third quarter the warriors are coming back they're scoring at will and denver is just scoring right back at them morris has five three-pointers all in that quarter and they're just like not guarding him gary payton the second comes in over helps with andrew wiggins on you know, I can't remember who it was, but it was someone, Wiggins had him totally cut off, helps off the strong side corner. Morris is just standing there and then he doesn't even close out hard on him. And Morris just hits his fifth three-pointer of the quarter. There were just a lot of plays like that, not getting matched up in transition where Golden State's defense was not very good. Their, the fouling discipline was bad. Green fouled out. They probably would have won this game if he hadn't fouled out, honestly, with the, about three minutes left with a slap down that appeared to it, clean on the ball, but it also appeared to hit Gordon in the face and Zach Zarba, the, the outside official called it, I think, that was that was the right call uh pool just yeah he looked his handle was very loose austin rivers had five steals in the second quarter he was unbelievable uh the warriors also had if you like steals this game featured 24 steals including 15 by the warriors at the end steph was getting Jokic switched onto him and pick and roll and just blowing right by him for layups or setting up threes warriors had some open threes one by clay one by wiggins that maybe could have changed the complexion of the game they actually did take a two-point lead late the they tried to actually once green had fought out they put in looney as a defensive replacement in a box and one and monte morris did a great job uh, attacking that off a screen by Jokic and hitting a, a floater to put him up to with 33.5 remaining the warriors then with 33.5 left took a timeout which i normally would advocate for to get the two for one but michael malone then was able to take out Jokic and Kerr ran a play half court hoops had a great breakdown of this ran a play that he's run before including against the Nuggets late in the game where they tried to get Andrew Wiggins setting a back screen and then getting inside position for a lob to get the two for one but everyone on the Nuggets staff knew it was coming Jokic was yelling about it so Austin Rivers was able to get inside position Otto Porter made the pass 
and he was the replacement for Draymond late which I don't know I maybe would I, I would have gone with Looney just to get some more defense on the floor because you still have those four guys around him but uh Austin Rivers made yet another great play to knock it away and then the Nuggets came down and, and were able to get that uh they then they call timeout to get Jokic back on the floor get the ball in bounds and then Jokic had the the winning assist to, to Barton the clinching assist to, I should say so they definitely cursed that after the game he wished he could have had that ATO back it was a good concept I think but the combination of being able to get Jokic off the floor with the timeout and then also that they had run that exact same play against the Nuggets before credit them for just being all over it with the scouting report and remembering that was that was great so I think that's about it I, I don't see Denver defending quite as well getting as many steals their guard defense isn't going to be as good at Golden State they're not the Warriors were 12 to 34 from three and 23 of 32 from the line and then the nuggets were 15 of 31 from three so a lot had to go right in this game for them i don't expect them to win game five obviously but we'll see stranger things have happened the uh, there's a commonality between the other two games where we saw key players go out and those teams lose games but my, so i was interested in miami you know they were discombobulated in game three lost to the atlanta hawks and through one quarter, Hawks had the lead. Things didn't look quite right for the Heat, though they did generate some looks that didn't quite go in. And then they went on, I think it was a 15-0 run. And yeah. the game was basically over. Jimmy Butler had a nice performance, 11-12 from the line, 12-21 from the field, and had some had some nice passes as well. We also saw the debut of Victor Oladipo in their playoff rotation, and the plus 28 overstates his impact a bit, but I thought that yeah. Oladipo competed defensively, and I liked him better in the first half than the second half. He was getting downhill, and that was better than him settling for jump shots, but part of the rotation, sure. Yeah, I mean, this was an evisceration, 110-86, Clint Capella came back, had an impact early, maybe ran out of steam, but he played 21 minutes. He helped them. But Trey Young, 3 of 11, took one two-point field goal and one free throw attempt in this one, which I think was a technical. He missed that one. Only had five assists and five turnovers. He has just been locked up other than for a four minute stretch at the end of game three he like the three pointers he was taking were not good in fact he hit two of the three threes that he hit were actually off of off ball screens which he of course nailed and again they should run a lot more of that stuff because miami doesn't switch off ball necessarily miami actually started off with gabe vincent starting for lowry and they did not switch at that point they just tried to keep vincent on young i'm not sure whether that's because they didn't want vincent trying to guard in the post the way they felt like lowry can or they just didn't have the communication or they just wanted to give him a, a different look i'm not sure what the reason for that was but then they went to the switching late in the first half and the hawks just couldn't score at all Dwayne debman only played four minutes they went with pj tucker as the backup center and he was plus 22 he also had 14 points and in the third quarter just started like beasting dudes in the post like it, it's it, it was funny because it started with him posting up on trey yes once, yes and then he's like well i'm just gonna post up everybody i don't give a shit who it is like, yeah yes, then it was like do then it, he PJ. did like hunter he did like hunter the next time and then he posted up a kongu the next time so he, like he scored on hunter and then he got a foul on a kongu and then like started talking all sorts of shit to a kongu after that it was just an amazing three possession sequence and he also hit two of four from downtown that's something that we didn't see from tucker at all with the bucks because their personnel would have never required it but he can play a small ball center in a, a switching system and do it quite well the fact again we, we said it last time but 
that he's like playing center also can guard Trey Young having probably the best offensive season of his career at age 37 I mean I know he got a late start but he was playing overseas before that pretty incredible and Butler was ridiculous with 36 points they have nobody to guard him at all and I thought that Butler really got going when it was Bam was kind of in foul trouble when he played 30 minutes when they went with tucker at center in the second quarter when he had 13 points he just had so much space to attack they have one guy who could guard him one-on-one when there is space um he didn't even shoot it well from three and it didn't matter but man max Struess, that guy is bombing like he's he's shooting even more ridiculous shots than like duncan robinson at this point to me at least from further out uh and but to have again and then like vincent the way he jacks to like those four guys i think i've said that before but that's pretty incredible to have those guys there they're only 31 percent from three but they got up 42 of them I, I mean hollinger was saying maybe he thinks trey like injured his ankle on a collision with gabe vincent early in the game he looked like he still had like some pretty decent jets when he tried to dribble it just but yeah i mean it, well whether something was in his head or or what like just to have him take one shot inside the arc like that was absolutely perplexing and trey was and he is he's been bad enough offensively danny i would say he's actually like net been a negative for the hawks in this series like that they would actually be playing better if they were just like starting delon right at point guard not that they would be winning but he's so bad defensively that he is like net negative hurting the hawks right now i would say can't fight against it too hard uh anything else in this or do we want to go to the other similar demolition um bogdan only played 21 minutes mcmillan was asked after the game whether he's on some kind of a minutes limit you would like him obviously to play more but uh and he struggled again he was one out of six he's had two very good games and two absolutely horrible games delon wright had a few good moments like attacking the zone making some smart plays but and they tried playing him next to trey some as well but in the end that didn't really help at all they took gallo out of the starting lineup to start collins and capella together but neither of those guys played more than 22 minutes they both were way in the negative i mean the one thing is a little disappointed me i still want to see more from bam offensively he was only plus eight and they won by 24 and oladipo like his shot selection was pretty bad still he had one beautiful high arcing layup but he, i don't think he's a positive on offense but it was great to see him like kind of trying to earn his time defensively i did think he had a very positive impact on that end bucks bulls Oof. I, I think the biggest thing to me, I said, yeah, it's pretty tough for the Bulls when they have four playoff level rotation guys. And then Hollinger tweeted a screenshot of all of the PERs for the players on the Bulls. And everyone except the big four of Caruso, Vucevic, DeRozan, and Levine was like low single digits. <laughs> It was now Williams did come back and he had he had 20 points and and hit three of six from downtown. And then the other stat that I had, the Chicago Bulls took more than half of their three pointers as corner threes. I don't think I've ever seen that before in a game. And they were five and 19. Like that just shows you because the Bucks usually don't want to give up corner threes. They're above the break. Yeah, sure. It's only really that, for those yeah. extremely limited shooters or a broken possession. Yeah. And I think we're seeing now DeRozan, even though he's got more of a mid range game than Butler that he is starting to fall into the same mode that Jimmy Butler was just taking a bunch of three-pointers because that's all he can do he was 05 from downtown Levine had some really positive moments once Caruso went down with a concussion in the second with uh, 24 points 13 assists had a couple of plays had two three-pointers in the first quarter and then didn't hit any more the rest of the way like he's only took he was two out of six so they're just not getting three-pointers for him. They're, he still isn't looking for three-pointers as much. 
Kobe White was awful, had two turnovers like directly to Grayson Allen, who was guarding him in the three minutes that he played in the first, and he was negative seven. And Allen went completely crazy, 27 points, 10 out of 12 from the field, six of seven from three. The fact that the Bulls, like the Zach Levine's off-ball defense, it was, you know, 2019 vintage. He was terrible defensively. DeRozan got beat a couple times. They're trying to hide him on Grayson Allen, and so they just set a screen. And of course, the Bulls aren't going to switch that with Vucevic and so Allen would get wide open off of that too. DeRozan has tried to take some charges, but he can't get over a screen on the perimeter. And Levine would just kind of be ball watching and lose him. Bucks finished 17 out of 33 from downtown. Holiday came back with a really strong game with 26. Giannis had 32 in 35 minutes. Bobby Portis uh, killed him again as well early in this game. Bulls are just completely outclassed. Like they just have nothing offensively. Nine of 36 from three in total. And I mean, I had pretty sure this series is over uh oh the tristan thompson experiment mercifully ended after he was just had some atrocious plays in the first half just like throwing the ball away on outlets and fouling guys and tristan thompson three turnovers and two fouls in five minutes yeah i think one of them was an offensive foul so they finally tried to go a different direction but they didn't go to tony bradley actually they just went with uh, I guess you would call it Derek Jones Jr. at center. But in the forward position for the Bulls, like, yeah, Williams had 20 points. He discovered his confidence, hit three threes. Still, though, like, he's not going to beat this Milwaukee Bucks team. And then Javante Green, Derek Jones Jr., and now Desunmu. I mean, we'll see what the news is on Caruso. Have you seen anything on, on him other than just that he was being evaluated for a concussion? Let me look. It's being described as a facial injury. That's all I've seen. Yeah. I mean, he was in a lot of pain. Like, so he might have some sort of like a orbital fracture or something like that. Okay. <laughs> let's, uh, let's hope game five is a blowout so we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> That's where I'm at on this. Dude. I mean, this is just between the Warriors, the Heat, and the Bucks not sweeping i'm just so annoyed that those teams didn't sweep and something to kind of factor in in those circumstances is hopefully we don't see it but the adding another game not only is it the fatigue and like for the warriors that's probably less of a deal because the other series in their conference are going long but it's risk of injury and everything else so hopefully if those teams win they you don't hope for an injury anywhere but it's you know, letting series linger can be a problem. No, it, it really can. I think the Warriors got really worn down in 2019 when they had to go six games against the Clippers in the first round, for example. As there have been a lot of a lot of these instances, but yeah, and I think I'll give the Nuggets a lot of credit for the way they played in these two home games, particularly their guards and how much better their guards played defensively. And Aaron Gordon, it's good to see him get back to like being an aggressive finisher around the rim. Putting him on Jordan Poole in that game was an adjustment we probably should have talked about that he. It really caused problems for Poole, I thought. And they actually, they their off-ball switching was really good. So, like, they, they made some improvements. Like, they're, they've got the MVP on their team. Like, that's, that's one thing. I mean, this Bulls, for the Bucks to have played as terribly as they did in the first two games was, and Miami to blow a 14-point lead. Just, uh, I'm a little ornery about that, given uh, I, I'm reaching delirium at this point with none of these series being over yet. I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> at least I'll get, at least we don't have games, like, all day tomorrow. I'll get, like, three hours of break during the day. All right. Uh, anything else we got to talk about? I think that's, there's no news or anything. The, we'll the one imagine. we should talk about is James Borrego. Oh, yes, yes. There it is, yes. So we'll, uh, we'll scroll down to uh, page 23 here. Find that. And I, I'm conflicted on Borrego because 
especially last year, it was a fair argument that the Charlotte Hornets outperformed their talent level on defense, even though they were only the 20th ranked defense in the league. And Mitch Kupchak didn't do them any favors by, you know, not swinging big, bringing in Plumlee and a bunch of young guys to solve the center spot and having all these other limited defenders. But I also, I, I mean, you don't want those two games to linger too much for you, but just how like unprepared and disappointing the performances were by the Pelicans in their two desultory play-in losses. And the idea that they, that they, I, I so I think Borrego, it, what, it's a tough firing because I don't think he did necessarily anything worth being fired. However, I, and this came up with Dave McMillan, incidentally, in Indiana and a few others, if if it doesn't seem like they're a clear value add, I think teams should cycle through coaches significantly more often than they do. So on that line, it's probably the correct decision. Yeah, I mean, certainly, and James Borrego, Hollinger was all over this when he began defending his record in the presser after the game. And and James Borrego was hired in 1819 to replace Steve Clifford the last Kemba year 39 and 43 then the bubble year they missed the bubble 23 and 42 and they were had an exceedingly lucky point differential that year then they followed up last year they had a pretty good lucky point differential too and they were actually at 500 until the Hayward injury and the ball injury but they still made it into the play in but they had that terrible loss but still they increased their winning percentage by over 10% and then they bumped it up by another 7% this year to get over 500 with this team. And, you know, they had these pathetic, absolutely pathetic losses in the play-in. But those, that's only two games, right? It's not, that's a little different to me than a playoff series is where you're losing 4-0 or something like that. He didn't have a, really any kind of a chance to make adjustments. He didn't have a chance to play any home games. So I do think that judging him solely on the play-in performance, desultory as they were, is a little rough. On the other hand, this wasn't a real team this year defensively. And you could say, hey, we didn't have real players. But it's not like they're so bad, right? They got like some pretty good athletes. Like Rozier is, was once regarded as a really good defensive guard. Lamelo has size and instincts. They got Kelly Oubre and Hayward and Miles Bridges and Jalen McDaniels. It's not like, you know, a lot of teams would be happy to have that level of of athleticism on the wing and then Plumlee is probably a below average defensive center and they went with PJ Washington at center a lot because that was a good group but they to just look like so pathetically undisciplined defensively throughout most of this year I think they do need someone to come in and like actually teach some better fundamentals instead of just like let's junk it up every every game where hey you get to 20th on defense but like that's your ceiling with those sorts of tactics to just like make these guys be you know maybe someone like Steve Clifford would be a good <laughs> so and it sounds like Cupjack is going to be gone too Borrego is also the victim of the Hayward acquisition probably not working out maybe they win one of these play-ins or get a different matchup if Hayward's available but he's not and that also raised the expectations as well so I think I, for him to be I, I understand he's like hey we improve by like 10 wins a year every year like what's the problem here like this is a young team like what are your, your expectations are really high like we won 43 games but I think it's more just kind of a but and they also just gave him an extension last offseason he had two years left on his deal although that he's going to get paid for so he probably had three of team control so this wasn't an issue where it was like okay he's going into the last year of his contract the, the Charlotte Observer reported that, that he had two years left on his contract it wasn't an issue where he's going into the last year of his contract and it's like okay we got to either extend this guy or he's a lame duck you know it wasn't that they just 
like they wanted to pay they had to pay him and they did they just really so i think it was just the understanding of like how things were behind the scenes and just like how bad things looked at times that i think they were ready to to move on and i i understand he's like you know i had him was like in the 20s like low 20s as my coach rankings you would i'm guessing you would probably feel similarly so yeah even find someone better why not and now we'll find out if they actually do <laughs> i mean eventually indeed indeed eventually all right we can catch up with you tomorrow then thanks for joining us thanks for listening if there's never been a better time to jump in well actually there's been a few better times we've had some better sales but in terms of the content there's never been a better time to jump in if you're listening to the public pod link is in your show notes dunkedon.supportingcast.fm and you can get this analysis every single day for the playoffs and then we go right into the draft and the offseason offseason outlooks for all 30 teams using our salary cap expertise you can join up and get our salary sheets which have actually just been updated with total access that's going to be essential going into the offseason and the draft we're going to do draft previews for probably the top 10 prospects as well as scouting reports and of course every single transaction in the offseason we will analyze as well talk to y'all soon at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.